BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world, hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything, I'm everything in between. We're brought to you today by Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. Today's guest, former director of motorsports for Mazda North America. That's a pretty big deal. He joined IMSA. <laughs> In October 2019, and since then has played a key role in creating IMSA's successful new Grand Touring prototype class. Energy, enthusiasm, and passion for the product are the qualities that convince NASCAR and IMSA chairman Jim France and IMSA CEO Ed Bennett, Ed Bennett that he was the right man to serve as president of IMSA. Most recently part of the venture behind NASCAR's first, first visit to the 24 hours of Le Mans in 47 years with the Garage 56 team. Another big deal. Welcome to the podcast, John Dune. And John, say hi to Mike Wallace. Hey, Mike. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to be on and thrilled to talk about uh, what the last 35 days has been like, but also the last three years. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are definitely a, a world traveler. You know, you have a lot in common with our show because Jeff Kent, who well, listens to our show? The whole world is listening, John. Okay. So, John, you've been traveling the world and we have the world listening to you. So we're going to do this a little backwards from normal. I, I have to go into your most recent. Uh, then I'm going to just step forward just and because you got to tell us about that old Le Mans experience. Yeah, I mean, that's I, I mean, cool. Tease us with Le Mans just a little bit, then let's back up to how you got in motorsports and so forth. So, it's been nothing but a whirlwind of media for the for this Garage Fifty Six NASCAR Le Mans program. Can, tell our listeners a little bit about it. I mean, I, I since I got to know you last year and talked just a little bit, I followed it, and I am just in awe how big a deal it was. You know, Mike, uh, I think we, when, when Jim France had the vision to do this, which, as, as you pointed out in the opening, uh, was, was 47 years ago, 1976, his father, Bill France Sr., did it. When Jim 
had the vision to go back and, and do this. Um, I think we were keying in on the fact that when NASCAR did this previously, the fans loved it. Uh, they loved the sound of the car. They loved the unique nature of it compared to what traditionally had been there in terms of prototypes and GT cars. So I think in going back, we all had that in mind. Boy, I, I hope they like it. I hope that it, it, it um, captivates people the way that it did, you know, almost uh, half century ago. And I'll tell you what, um, <laughs> I, I still can't believe what's happening because the, the media uh, train keeps rolling. Um, but I also, just thinking back to that two weeks there, all the things that transpired that had people just like magnets to our garage area, um, people during the parade downtown, Jimmy Johnson drove the car downtown for a, a, a promotional event before the race week even started. Uh, the Hendrick boys uh, win the pit stop challenge over all the GT cars. We go out and we test and we, we hit the, the target lap time that, that they wanted us from a performance level to hit. And all of a sudden we're, we're, we're faster than all the GT cars. So just all those things come together. Um, it, it was a magical, magical time. And uh, I know that all of us who participated in it are not going to forget it. And I hope that we keep this media train rolling so nobody else does. <laughs> yeah, what, a, what an exciting, exciting event. You know, the one thing that you won't believe this, John, that we have in common, that the last time that NASCAR was at Le Mans, I realized that my first NASCAR car owner was the car owner. I read that. Junie Donlevy. Yeah. So no way. Yeah, Junie was the first team owner that I drove for in the NASCAR Cup Series. I drove the number 90 Heilig Myers Ford for him, and uh, he had told me about those stories, but I'd never really paid much attention to him, to be honest <laughs> with you. And uh, I, I see his name mentioned now, and it's like, wow, Junie Donlevy was at Le Mans. That, that's outstanding. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a historian of the sport and, and knowing what had transpired there uh, with both the, the Junie Dunleavy team and Dick Brooks and obviously Herschel McGriff uh, was behind the Dodge Charger that went, you know, we had those two cars on site in our NASCAR 75th anniversary display. Um, so there's all of these things that happened that if you were to write a, a movie script on it, you, you wouldn't believe it because it, it's just so, so special. Well, that sounds outstanding. John, so, so let's just catch up with you. Now, we're, we caught up just a little bit. We're going to come way back to Le Mans because that's, that was way important to me. Tell us about you or tell our, our fans, where did you come from? When what was your interest, first interest in motorsports? How did you, was it from a little boy, young man? Where, where did that start at? Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, much like you, Mike, uh, it was in the family. And my grandfather, um, also named John Doonan, different middle name, but he uh, was a car guy. He was a racer. Um, he raced circle track midgets uh, up in the Northeast in the late 40s, early 50s, and actually just acquired his 1947 Curtis Craft midget, uh, which has an off-E engine in it. Um, I can't fit in it, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he uh, he was really you know the the I guess the initial seed, and then my dad also John Doonan, a uh, different middle name, um, caught that same bug. And when he was out in California in the Navy uh, in the late '60s, he wanted to give a go at uh, at some road racing and went through driver school with SCCA and the Formula V and ended up in the Midwest and raced a variety of cars in, in SECA and Midwestern Council uh, competition. And, and I was at the racetrack at Road America and, and the, uh, the event called the June Sprints, which ironically just happened this weekend when I was six weeks old. So um, it's it's been a part of my life since day one. Um, and, you know, how grateful am I that I got to live a dream of, of Mazda, which dad raced some showroom stock Mazdas late in in uh, in the 70s when the RX-7 first came in to the state. So I fell in love with those cars. And, now, you know, how lucky am I and how blessed that I got to work for Mazda for 19 years and manage the racing program there. And then, you know, when Jim France calls, um, as I said at the opening, you know, you, you take that phone call. And he and Ed Bennett 
uh, asked me to come to IMSA after being a participant with Mazda for, geez, about uh, 15 years or so um, to, to, to be part of this organization under the NASCAR umbrella. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm saying uh, that I got to live two dreams, and um, I'm currently living the second one. Well, that's wonderful. In the early era, uh, before you were the head of Mazda, I mean, were you a race car driver? Were you a mechanic? How did you? Uh, um, I know you were there at six was, six years old or six <laughs> weeks old, but uh, <laughs> where'd you go from there? Yeah, I was I was a track rat. I mean, I you know I actually was telling the story this weekend. I got in trouble with my parents usually when I went to the racetrack because you know we'd show up at eight in the morning. Dad was working on his car, and I basically ran around the, the paddock area or the garage area the entire time. And I, you know, wouldn't eat or, uh, you know, get sunburn, all the stuff that you're not supposed to do. Um, and, but I, you know, I just kind of uh, spent time all over getting to meet drivers, getting to meet crews and families that were racing and sort of, then I worked some, some timing and scoring and I worked uh, what we call grid in our form of the sport and pit lane and things like that. And finally, was a corner marshal and little things like that really immersed me in kind of all aspects of the sport. And I tried to be a sponge and, and learn all about administration and, and sanctioning of, of motorsport. And uh, I felt like I gathered a, a nice wide range of knowledge and then got the opportunity on the, the OEM side with Mazda. And uh, we promoted a bunch of series there and, I guess uh, as you come to IMSA, you got all those things combined into one. Wow, rather unique. So when you were doing that corner marshalling and all that stuff, I mean, did you ever have any aspirations to drive, or did you just have the the management side <laughs> I, in mind? I, no, I did. Um, you know, I, I you, you watch it over the years, and, uh, well, that can't be so hard, right? You, you go as fast as you want um, on a closed course and there's all kinds of safety around and all, all good to go. But I, I did my first driver school in, in 1995, um, did some road racing, not a lot. Um, I've, I've since done some vintage historic racing. I've got a couple cars that we uh, restore and, and, and run, but you know, really what captivated me most was the business side of the sport, the marketing side of the sport. And um, some guys that dad raced with uh, went on to do uh, some semi-pro or some entry-level professional racing. And they wanted some help in finding corporate partners and sponsorship and things like that. So I started doing the old-fashioned sponsorship proposals and trying to help some of those guys out. And uh, in the process, got to know some people at Mazda with the Formula Mazda series that was just getting started. And... Uh, Sort of the rest is history there. You know, as you know, Mike, you meet the right people at the right time along your the course of your career, and uh, they can be a, an absolute springboard. Well, that's a, a very, very impressive. I mean, be able to kind of open that door and uh, then, then run, run then the you gotta, no, Then you got to talk them into giving you their money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that ain't easy to do. No. So, so in, in the early Mazda years, how – I mean, did you just, I mean, I'm intrigued by it to the point that did you just become the boss all of a sudden or no, were you just no. kind of working at some level up to that point? No, one of my, one of my heroes uh, in the sport is a gentleman named Damon Burnett, uh, rest his soul, but he, he was the director of motorsports for Mazda, really got Mazda's racing program in North America started. And I watched what Damon had done, and he created a very big family atmosphere uh, among all the racers. And, you know, you go out on track and in fierce competition, but if some, you know, fellow competitor needed help, you, you, you made sure he, he or she had the right parts or the right tools to get their car back on track. And that really stuck with me, and that was something that I learned from my dad as well, is, is you know, we're here to enjoy this sport. And so... When I joined Mazda, there was a pretty um, solid grassroots program. You know, SECA racing um, is absolutely the lifeblood for Mazda, and I think still over 50% of the cars that compete in SECA are uh, are Mazdas. And so we really leveraged that and then um, went out and, and started searching for corporate partner, 
corporate partners to get us back into the top level of the sport. And um, we, we were successful. And back in uh, 2005, Mazda came back to IMSA. Um, we were also in the Grand Am series. And so we had parallel programs running at uh, multiple levels. And that's really where I started the, the process of having the opportunity to, to lead the program was get some of those professional programs off the ground, uh, keep the grassroots customers happy and uh, re retain that family feel. And uh, we had a great run. Uh, we, we won a lot of championships. We won a lot of races and finally entered the DPI category that, as you know, was a vision of Mr. Francis as well. And uh, we really had some, had some, had some great times and uh, hard, hard to leave. But um, you know, when the first family of motorsports, the France family calls and gives you an opportunity to be part of their team, um, you don't take that lightly. Oh, I think you made the right choice. I, well, that's what I would have done. Right. It's a pretty big deal, yeah. I'm still waiting for the phone to ring, but it's not doing it. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. France probably lost your number, Mike. Yeah, okay, is that how it works? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll have to somehow forward it to him. You know, I, I'll tell you something. John, you won't believe this. We'll finish this segment up with it. In um, 1990, okay, I have this incredible picture with myself and Jim France. At Quincy, uh, at Quincy Speedway, it's a quarter-mile dirt track in Quincy, Illinois. Yep. And I won the NASCAR Winston Racing Series Championship that year, the regional championship. Oh, oh, wow. And uh, there's a picture of Mr. France standing there. We're shaking hands and we're talking, and he's got long hair, <laughs> you know. And I, I looked at that the other day and thought, wow, think how far back I go in this sport, you know, and been involved in NASCAR racing forever. And these people that were just, I mean, he he come to Quincy Speedway to watch the Winston Racing Series that week. So, you know, he's probably forgotten about all that, Mike. Well, I'll so remind you. got to send him the picture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that break, let's take a break and come back and talk about some other things. We'll take a time out right here. We're talking to John Doonan. He is the president of IMSA. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Please join me, Mark Ficken, and our team at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln in honoring our brave heroes this Independence Day. We're celebrating by matching Ford and Lincoln's incentive of $1,000 off every new vehicle for active military and first responders with an extra $1,000 off. And now through July 10th, when you buy a new vehicle, we'll donate $50 to the Military Warriors Support Foundation on your behalf. Visit us today at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard or FordLincolnCharlotte.com. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. We're talking to John Doonan today. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. John, so before we jump around a lot more, IMSA, what does IMSA stand for? IMSA stands for the International Motorsports Association, and it was established by Bill France Sr. and a gentleman named John Bishop and his wife Peggy in 1969 as a way to bring um, manufacturers, um, auto manufacturers from all over the world together uh, to compete um, in the same manner that had been going on uh, internationally with uh, events like Le Mans. And so it was the start of uh, something extremely special, and 50-plus years later, here we are. So I news to me, so IMSA has always per se been owned by the France family or NASCAR, however you want to say that? Um, it, it's gone through a few cycles, Mike. It, it, it was established by Bill France Sr. and John Bishop. 
Um, there were some times um, in the 90s where it was owned by uh, some different folks. Um, but in the end, um, a gentleman named Don Panos, uh, you may have heard Dr. Don's mm -hmm. uh, name. Yeah. Uh, he, he had a vision to uh, try to bring uh, that type of racing back and have an alliance with the ACO, which is essentially IMSA's uh, sister or brother in, uh, in France, and, and they run the World Endurance Championship with the FIA. So Don had a vision in the late 90s to, uh, to bring IMSA back, and, and Don took ownership of it and added a headquartered out of Braselton, Georgia. And then uh, in 2014, after running um, a Grand Am, which was uh, owned by NASCAR, and also running IMSA through Don Panos, uh, a merger happened. And um, the uh, France family, or NASCAR, uh, purchased IMSA, uh, purchased a couple of racetracks, Sebring International Raceway, Road Atlanta, uh, which is now called Michelin Raceway, Road Atlanta. Um, and, and brought it back into the family, if you will. And uh, now we have 18 automakers that race with us. We have a terrific championship in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and, and many other platforms. Uh, now, uh, frankly, 10 in total, um, where we have different championships, both single make and uh, endurance championships like you saw at Watkins Glen this weekend. So, John, I, you know, I, I've, I guess I've lived a very narrow life. Uh, I always thought NASCAR, the, the stock car NASCAR, was the biggest deal going. But I, I realize after uh, meeting you, talking with you, watching, reading all these, road racing is just huge in the world, isn't it? I mean, it's we lived in this little what I call isolated bubble, I think. NASCAR, stock car racing, and I thought that was it. I thought that was where everybody wanted to race, <laughs> and there wasn't any other type of race. And then uh, I swear in the last year, I've like, oh, my gosh, this road racing worldwide, U.S.-wide is a big deal. It, it, it's pretty huge, yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah so, uh, you know, I, I grew up around racing, so NASCAR, uh, Richard Petty, you know, those guys were my, my – NASCAR connection growing up, watching it on television, the Allisons, the Alabama gang, Kale, then obviously you and your brothers and, and uh, your, your family on the, you know, uh, on the Wallace side, all of that was, I watched it, you know, I, I, I didn't participate in it, but I watched it. Um, but I was, I grew up around sports car racing and um, I always felt like, um, Maybe so, you know, NASCAR for sure, but in general, motorsports and, and on the sports car side, you have this huge variety of manufacturers that compete. I always felt like motorsports is the only true, authentic way to market an automotive brand because you got the vehicles, um, especially GT cars and 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 uh, sedans that, that race in, in NASCAR, for example, um, they're consumer identifiable. They represent the company's brand in the way they look or the way the, the engine sounds. Um, and so I always had this vision that that was the best way to market an automaker. And, um, you know, sports car racing today, uh, to your point, has really grown. And to have 18 manufacturers that choose to invest either with a factory endorsed effort or customer racing programs in, in the U.S. Um, to race with IMSA, it's a really, really big deal. And, uh, you know, the, the, the events are a who's who of automotive leadership. Um, you go to the Midway and the Fan Village and each of the manufacturers has a display and they're uh, current road cars are there and they make the tie between what happens on the racetrack and on the road cars. So um, it's really, it's really special. I think NASCAR um, definitely has the same with Chevrolet, Ford and Toyota, um, especially with the next gen car and the way the Xfinity cars look now, um, the, the, the design cues are there. Um, the, the next gen car, the most technologically advanced NASCAR 
uh, in the whole history of the, the 75 years that it's been in existence, um, you know, these manufacturers are making that tie at the NASCAR level. So um, sports car racing has huge variety, but I think in, in an overall sense, the theme is we're a marketing platform. Uh, we're a technology test bed, and uh, this is this is the best way for an automaker to do it. Never thought about it that way, Jeff. Well, you know what they say, Mike. A win on Sunday equals sales on Monday. Yeah, I remember hearing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, it's, it's definitely some truth to that. I think, um, you know, people spend a significant amount of money to go racing. And then there's probably, you know, one and a half, two, two and a half times that that's spent on activations, storytelling, um, and that really, in my opinion, is what um, makes the tie between racing um, on the weekend and, and proving out a car for uh, for sale during the next week. So, John, help me understand what I call the the, the extreme cars and I, the prototype divisions. And I don't know all the classes, but something that doesn't look like your street model car. Where yep. do, where does that help? the car manufacturer at i mean you you look at what i call exotics i mean they just they're they're so cool looking but they're so different you kind of wish you could go buy one but you can't (laughs) yeah Yeah, um it's an excellent point mike and you you mentioned the number of classes and we currently have five we'll be running four classes next year to work at simplifying it but um, endurance racing is 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 a little tricky to understand you've got multiple drivers in um, a car during the race. So when pit stops happen, it's not just fuel and tires. It's, you know, also could involve a driver change. The other piece is, um, you know, you got GT cars, which are looking just like their road going um, sisters and brothers. And then you got a prototype. And the best way for me to describe it is a GT car, uh, a Porsche 911, uh, Corvette, (laughs) Uh, an AMG Mercedes, uh, an Acura NSX, a Lexus RCF. Um, these cars look like the cars that you'd see on the road that, that are the same brand, 911 Corvette RCF uh, NSX. So they look like what they see on the street. So for me, that's an example of today. That's, that's showing the fan what is in the um, per- portfolio of these automakers today. The prototypes, which in the simplest terms could be considered, you know, like the Batmobile, um, <laughs> maybe unobtainium. Um, like you said, you can't go buy one. Um, but they represent for me what is tomorrow. But uh, each of the automakers has a chance to stylize their prototype to look like a BMW, to look like a Cadillac. Um, or a Porsche or uh, an Acura in this case, the, the ones that are running with us. But in the back is their engine of choice, um, whether it's a current production-based engine, uh, an engine that speaks to what's available in their production cars, or maybe a future engine. Um, and then we've added hybrid technology this year. So we have a common hybrid system uh, for each of the manufacturers, they all use the same system uh, to, again, talk about what's possible, talk about the future, such that we can use this platform as a um, an outlook to technology in the auto industry and give the automakers a chance uh, to, to be on stage and, and to demonstrate it. What is hybrid technology? I've had people ask me, and I said, well, I don't know. I guess it's got something to do with battery. I'm not really sure how it works, but uh, yeah. what is how it does the technology of that work? Is there a simple explanation for it, or is it very complex? No, I think uh, relatively simple. I think uh, each of these cars has an electric motor uh, on it, um, and within the bell housing of the um, of the transmission, if you will, uh, that all coupled together, the, the drivetrain, you've got your internal combustion engine, you know, pistons going up and down. And then you have coupled with that, um, the hybrid electric motor, such that 
um, when the cars um, leave the pit lane nowadays, um, they are leaving on electric power. And so that electric motor um, uses energy that's stored in, in batteries and that sit in the cockpit. Um, and it allows us to add incremental power to the cars, uh, constant power, um, which has uh, extended our fuel stint um, significantly compared to last year. Um, it uh, gives us the opportunity to make the tie to not full electric, but that middle ground um, such that we can gain more efficiencies um, on the racetrack and again, allow the automakers uh, to tell that story. So, you know, quite simply, uh, the hybrid technology combines at least one electric motor with a gas engine to move the car and it recaptures energy um, under braking. So, so other than taking the use, utilizing that electric engine or electric motor, excuse me, leaving pit road and get where, where does that speed or performance that electric motor help the performance of the car once on the racetrack? So it's, it's pretty constant. So the internal combustion engines that are brought to the table, um, are making about 670, uh, horsepower and you combine the electric motor with a constant 30 more horsepower. Um, you're talking about 700 horsepower combined. And that um, is, is uh, what makes uh, the fans uh, get to the edge of their seat because the cars are quick um, and they obviously dive in and out of the GT traffic. Um, and then again, it's, it's about finding efficiencies and telling uh, a sustainability story. Um, and that's what we're constantly trying to achieve is how can we um, still show performance, still show all the sights and the sounds and the spells, smells of motorsport, but do it in a uh, responsible manner when it comes to the environment. Does the average race fan realize that about those prototype cars and that? I mean, are, is there somebody sitting in the stands going, I like the energy efficiency of that car? <laughs> I, I'm just asking because I don't, you know, no, no, what do you I think, think, Jeff? I mean, I don't know. I, just, I find that hard to believe, yeah. No, but I mean, I, somebody, I had no idea that the hybrid technology, that there was an electric motor working in tandem with, a, you know, a combustion Yeah, engine. I mean, it's I new. No idea. I've heard the verbiage, you know what I mean? But when you're not exposed to it, you don't even know how it works. Yeah. And, and, uh, s s can you imagine sitting in the grandstand at any racetrack? any kind of racing at all and and hearing two fans talk about hybrid technology and <laughs> electric motors no hell no i ain't there ain't no electric motor in that race car <laughs> <laughs> well i i know we need john to explain some other things more in depth so let's take a break and come back we'll take a time out here we'll come yeah. back he is the president of the International Motorsports Association. John Doonan is with us. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, powered by MyRacePass and NASCAR Digital Media. Please join me, Mark Ficken, and our team at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln in honoring our brave heroes this Independence Day. We're celebrating by matching Ford and Lincoln's incentive of $1,000 off every new vehicle for active military and first responders with an extra $1,000 off. And now through July 10th, when you buy a new vehicle, we'll donate $50 to the Military Warriors Support Foundation on your behalf. Visit us today at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard or FordLincolnCharlotte.com. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. 
Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You are listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day <clears throat> to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. We're talking to John Doonan. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. John, during the break, I was thinking just how uh, how many things I don't know, you know, about race cars. <laughs> I, I know that I'm a race car driver. You know, I know how to do that. You and, don't have to be smart to be a driver. Well, <laughs> all right, Jeff. You, you really had to throw me under the bus there. But you're right. I mean, I'm listening to John explain that, you know, I asked hyper technology. So what other type of uh, from the old back in the day race car? And uh, back when yep. you first got, let's just use the '90s. What what are yep. some of the other things that uh, the race fan can can get educated on that you had no idea is being developed by these, you know, X number or 18 of these car manufacturers? The car, 18 car manufacturers. I didn't know there were. Shocks me. I didn't I even realize there were that many car manufacturers out there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. other than some specialty name brands and all that, but. Uh, what, what other type of things are under your wheelhouse of making sure it comes to competition or you got um, control on in competition? Yeah, I think um, if you rewind the clock uh, far back, you know, motorsports has been a test bed and a development platform for many uh, elements of automatic, or, I'm sorry, automotive technology, um, the rear view mirror. Uh, came to us from motorsport. Um, Anti-lock braking systems came to us from motorsport. Um, you know, there's a massive opportunity uh, to look at safety in motorsports and the things that have been developed through racing. Uh, radial tires uh, for racing. Um, you know, unleaded uh, racing fuel. Um, IMSA was the first unleaded high-performance racing fuel, um, you know, electronic shifting, um, you know, with the electronic clutch control. Um, there's, there's a ton of different uh, technologies throughout the last, you know, I would call it 50 years roughly, um, that have been developed through motorsport and specifically through IMSA. Um, so I think that's something to keep in mind. Um, as uh, fans listen to your, your show, to fans that sit in the stands at an event or fans that watch on television is um, we as a sport are not just there burning tires and burning fuel. We are out here uh, demonstrating brands, demonstrating technologies, and hopefully being a part of um, the future uh, of our sport. You know, it's, it's interesting because – I, I guess what I'm, I want to ask and explain, I, uh, I did a little marketing program with Clemson University a few years ago where it was around Mike Wallace Racing was going to be a brand name for Clemson. Mm -hmm. And the idea was to create the engineering mm -hmm. aspect of motorsports. They have a, a company actually or an involvement with a group called ICAR. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, I know that program well. And uh, so I spent some time down there. And, of course, again, I'm just – I'm a race car driver, you know, trying to figure out how to find the money to race and – you know, sponsor our help sponsor the race car I was driving to make sure we had the parts and pieces that we needed. But uh, through that era, I realized, and I think a lot of people have heard, and you can explain it more, John. Where does the engineering aspect for a a, a student, an individual person, man, woman, whatever, wants to go to a mechanical engineering class? Uh, at one of these universities, such as Clemson and through ICAR and has a big tie to BMW, I know. Is, is that the trend of motorsports? Do we see a lot of engineering aspects in all facets of it right now? Uh, no doubt. Um, the cars we're running are the most technologically advanced cars um, in the whole NASCAR portfolio. And, and just like the next-gen cup car, um, there's so much technology on these cars now. And we do need that next generation of mechanical engineer, um, data engineer. Um, you know, the cars have, uh, I, I was actually joking on the weekend with, with Mr. France and Mike Helton and, and Ed Bennett. 
that you know we have a, a tire allocation for the weekend. You're only allowed so many tires, and I was uh, joking that we should only allow so many laptops uh, <laughs> around 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 these race cars because they're they're so advanced um, and they you know from the engine side to the overall operation of the car, uh, chassis dynamics, everything is is uh, controlled through the ECU and and through sensors, like 190 sensors on these cars. So um, there's a lot going on there. And I think uh, programs like ICAR, programs like STEM education, uh, programs like Formula SAE, where young men and women can get their feet wet in motorsports in an educational environment, that is the best thing that could happen for our sport long-term. It fills the pipeline and up and down pit lane at IMSA, there's that next generation of engineer uh, sitting on the box that uh, has has gotten their feet wet in the sport, but also has an educational background to back it up. John, I cannot ask you to talk for Mr. France because you're not him, but I'm going to ask and see if you can equate to it. So Jim France, who is kind of running things in today's world, where is he does he understand all this or does he just know that these 18 car manufacturers are bringing this you know this wish list to him and he has people like yourself running divisions within different forms of racing that can make all this technology work i'm just awed by technology i'm awed by the not just the technology aspect it's the development of technology that makes it work it's uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, like, well, that's really cool, but like, who sat around and thought about that? Who thought to make yeah, that work? You know? Yeah, you're you're 100 right. I I cannot speak for Jim, but I can tell you from my vantage point that he's extremely aware of the day to day of the auto industry. Okay, he's extremely engaged with the automakers. He's wanting us as sanctioning bodies. Uh, IMSA, NASCAR, um, to be engaged with them, to understand what the future propulsion plans are, you know, hybrid, alternative fuels, where's electrification going, um, where's the internal combustion engine going, where is turbocharging versus normally aspirated going, uh, where is automatic transmission versus manual transmission, all of those elements. Uh, Jim has a has a tremendous finger on the pulse, and he is is encouraging each of us who are on the day to day of operating these championships to make sure that we have a finger on the pulse. And one of the the issues, certainly, um, as you well know, Mike and and Jeff, uh, racing is expensive, and one of the things that we have to be cognizant of, even though technology is driving us forward is the cost of that technology. And we have always tried. I know NASCAR has done a ton as they brought the next gen cup car to market to contain costs for the teams. And the same goes for IMSA. We are looking at platforms to make sure the rules, rules are not allowing cost creep. And uh, you know, the, the old adage is, you know, speed costs money. How fast do you want to go? <laughs> you yeah, an old Banjo that. Matthews steers story, wasn't it? Banjo, you say, how much? Yeah, I remember so, that. So I think we have to, as a sport, uh, while we are advancing, while we're bringing new technologies, um, keep the costs in check. And that's what we're all about. Uh, racing is expensive. You launch new cars like we have in GTP. They are expensive, but... Um, as a sanctioning body, we've tried to develop sets of rules that keep everybody um, within reason in, in, a, in a spending frame that doesn't get out of hand. Okay, Jeff. Here's a question for you both, John and Mike. So in your opinion, is racing going to be all electric at some point? Wow, that is way over my head because I can't I can't get the extension cord that long. <laughs> you know what I mean, though. Yeah, I don't. John, what's your opinion, or where do you stand on that that view at this point? Well, so I think um, one of the things that we have to remember uh, as a sport is fans are buying tickets to attend. Fans are tuning in. At, they they attend a race. They're tuning in on television. 
to see entertainment. We're, we're still putting on a show. And part of that show, certainly when you won that series at Quincy, when I went to the racetrack at six weeks old, um, was the sights, the sounds, specifically the sounds, uh, the smells of, of our sport. And we cannot lose that. Um, that is that is critical. We're, we're still a sensory society, right? We, we, we need to hear, touch, see, listen. Um, and so um, with the transition in the industry uh, to electrification, I think uh, we need to be sensitive, sensitive to that. You know, we, we've seen, you know, electric racing so far around the world. Um, it's different. It's not something that uh, the three of us are used to um, um, in terms of gear, being gearheads and, and hearing uh, a thundering V8 like we showed off at, at Le Mans in the, in the Garage 56 program. So we have to keep that in mind. Uh, we cannot lose uh, the entertainment side of this and, and keep attracting fans. So it's a, it's a middle ground, and I think that's why the hybrid technology has been so well received in GTP. We've got, um, you know, cars leaving the pit lane in electric, halfway down pit lane, that Cadillac V8 fires up or the Porsche V8 or the Acura V6 or the BMW V8, and then we have that traditional sound. So uh, more to come, but I think we, we've got to be real sensible about what the fan is, is taking in. That's right. That's a great answer. And I can't imagine going to a race and not smelling race fuel. Yeah, you know I, don't, I, mean? I think we, we got to go to a race for an uh, for a race, an event. You know, anymore, I, I, I think I've matured a little bit. We're not just going for a race. We're going for an event right. that the race happens to be the focal point of. And, uh, you know, I, I John, you, I went to my first Indy 500 a few weeks ago. And I was, wow. I was an invited guest of A.J. Foyt, which I had drove a cup car for, and Larry Foyt. And I was so excited. What a, what a memorable event. But we're talking about electric. So I run into Jill DeFerrin in the garage area. Yeah. And Jill's involved with, I forget the name of it, but extreme electric vehicle racing, you know. And, yeah. And I said, how's that going? I, you know, it's the first time I ever met him. And, wow, it's Jill DeFerrin, man. This is, like, <laughs> famous guy, you know. And, and we're standing right in front of A.J.'s garage there. And, uh. He says it's we got a lot to overcome. Yeah. <laughs> he, he says it's not something people are just going to jump up on right away. So, uh, meaning, right? Well, you see more and more. And you know, you see more and more of the electric vehicles around, right? So they're they're obviously selling them. I see them every day. Yeah. But I'm not ready to embrace that whole thing yet. As yeah. you know, as a consumer, me, this yeah, is I the way think I am. I'm old John, school. I think that's what you're telling us at this point that the the world still likes that. That horsepower, that gas, the engine noise, and uh, got to throw a little electric in there along the way, right? That's right. And I think uh, if we can find that that middle ground, um, there's talk about more sustainable fuels. We're running an 80% renewable fuel in IMSA now. Um, there's talk about the potentials of hydrogen. Uh, there's a bunch of opportunities for the auto industry to, again, continue to show performance, con continue to show um, technological advancements, but also not lose um, that that original sound that we're all used to. Well, uh, I'm I'm sitting here with my mind just wandering about all this technology, all advancement of fuels. Uh, where do you find new fuels at? Where does that come from? Dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, I, you know, you, you hear the whole world's trying to say, oh, we need more green technology, and then we're trying to save, you know, find sustainable fuels. And uh, I listen to the Formula One world a little bit, them talk about the new sustainable fuels. And it's like, okay, where's this stuff keep coming from? <laughs> so Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, we, we're fortunate. We have a great fuel partner in VP Racing Fuels. Uh, we have um, OEMs, uh, all the manufacturers that are, keen to see us uh, use this platform again to develop fuels that, that could be at the pump. Uh, the fuel that we're running uh, right now in IMSA is an 80% renewable fuel. Um, the um, contents or the ingredients of that uh, actually come from non-food chain waste, um, from growing crops and roots and things like that. Uh, when I was at Mazda, we actually ran a diesel engine for a while and we found a uh, uh, fuel provider 
that uh, uh, took the fats and oils from meat processing. It was a, a joint venture with Tyson Food Company, and they used the fats and oils from meat processing to make diesel fuels. We ran that in the race car. Um, people joked that we were making chicken nuggets if you wanted some down the way. <laughs> but uh, that, that's the truth, and I think there's, there's opportunities just like that um, in many different industries to, you know, use refuse. Um, in fact, Michelin, uh, Michelin is our tire partner. They're taking uh, now making a tire that's 53 percent uh, sustainable raw materials, and they're taking things like plastic water bottles and uh, wood chips and things like that, and turning turning that into usable product. And um, you know, we're proud to have that partnership too. So. It's all aspects of the sport that it touches, whether it's hybrid, whether it's uh, fuel, whether it's uh, tires. Uh, you put all that together, and that's a sustainable racing program. I remember at, at Auto Fair one year, they had a car that ran on uh, cooking oil. Yeah. It's... Canola, right? You crank it up. It smelled like French fries. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We got to right. take a timeout right here. We're talking to the president of IMSA, John Doonan, on the line. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Please join me, Mark Ficken, and our team at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln in honoring our brave heroes this Independence Day. We're celebrating by matching Ford and Lincoln's incentive of $1,000 off every new vehicle for active military and first responders with an extra $1,000 off. And now through July 10th, when you buy a new vehicle, we'll donate $50 to the Military Warriors Support Foundation on your behalf. Visit us today at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard or FordLincolnCharlotte.com. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. We're bringing it home with John Doonan once again. Here's Mike Wallace. John, you know that the name of our show is Fast Car to NASCAR, but I want yep. you to help the fan that's listening to understand what they can see when they go to an IMSA race. What you know, you, you're familiar with all forms of, of racing. You're used to going to a NASCAR or oval or road race. Just tell me about an IMSA race. I'm excited about it. I, I want to go. Jeff, you and I need to we go. We should have gone over the weekend. Watkins Glen. That yeah. would have been fun. Yeah. Hey, what? Talk <laughs> about that. We had a little controversy in the finish at Watkins Glen. I, yeah. Uh, did I we, had a, we, had a, we had a great weekend at Watkins Glen. It was our Salem's six-hour weekend, five series. So, you know, when the fans rolled in through the front gate there, they could have seen a Porsche series, all the same Porsches competing they could have seen the Lamborghini Super Trofeo series, the Mazdas MX-5 Cup. Um, and then we had our, our owned and operated endurance series, Michelin Pilot Challenge, which are, again, road going in the way they look, sports cars. And the same in the six-hour race yesterday. And you're going to see as a fan a huge variety. Uh, I mentioned 18 automakers. Think of every automaker that's on auto row in the, in the dealerships in your hometown, they're here. Uh, it's, it's Acura, BMW, Porsche, Lexus, Lamborghini, Ferrari, uh, McLaren, uh, you name it. They're all there. Cadillac, Corvette, uh, you see everybody there. And, and uh, as a interested uh, car shopper, uh, they're, they're all participating. And you see um, really, really fast race cars, um, really, really cool race cars. Uh, you see a very open environment where you come into the garage area and all the teams welcome fans to come up and see the cars. We have a grid walk where right before the race, uh, the cars are all lined up on the straightaway uh, or in the pit lane and it's the gates are opened. Any fan with a general admission ticket is able to come out and, and see the cars and drivers right up close. So I think, Mike, it probably harkens back to you know, the earlier days where, where it was a little more open. And uh, we tried to keep that uh, environment and that culture uh, alive for the audience. But you're right. We had a little controversy after the race uh, yesterday evening, uh, working through that. Um, 
but we're trying to keep that uh, rule set tight and make sure we have equal and fair competition. So tell us, uh, I, I threw something out there I really don't know the details of. I just was was uh, paying a little bit of attention. And so there was a, yesterday the Porsche car, or the Penske Porsche, there was a, what was it, lowering block or a minimum height block yeah, or something that so, said it was a little different in height or something? Yeah, you know, one of the things that's so important, and, and you know this firsthand, Mike, over the course of your career, aerodynamics has become such a big uh, element of, of racing, and that is uh, the downforce that's on these cars. Um, the air going over the top of them uh, pushes down on the car um, to make them stick. It's, it's the opposite of an airplane. An airplane wants lift um, from the bottom up. In our case, you want air pressing down on these race cars. And so um, the, the lower you can run a car uh, to the racing surface, um, the more efficiency you're going to find. And uh, you get that aerodynamic downforce working, and it's, uh, it gives you extra performance. And so in our rule book, it's, it's uh, relatively simple. You, your car, um, you know, our cars have, have skids on the bottom of them. Uh, they're, they're made of jab rock, which is a really heavy wood. Um, you're only allowed to run them uh, so high or so low. And I know for a fact you remember coming to Daytona here to the Speedway, which is right across the street, and uh, qualifying for the Daytona 500 or for the – Xfinity race or the truck race, and and what do you want? You want it to get that thing as low on the deck as you can uh, to get as much uh, uh, pressure on the car to make it go fast. There you go. Well, I just it caught my attention. You know, Tim Sindrick was our, our guest two weeks ago, president of Penske Racing, and he was mentioning about their road race program, right. only, and yeah. it was their car that had a little. But uh, so when you when you show up at at a how many races do you have or does IMSA have throughout the year? Uh, so 12, 12 race weekends. Um, there's a couple of race weekends where only only the GT cars go, um, but but twelve weekends, um, and uh, it's it's uh, kicks off at the the twenty four hours of Daytona here in uh, in January and uh, goes to the twelve hours of Sebring. We go out to California to the Long Beach uh, Street Circuit. We go to WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca. Uh, of course, we were at Watkins Glen this weekend with another long race, a six-hour event. Uh, we're going up to Canada here in two weeks. Uh, we go to Road America and Elkhart Lake, um, Virginia, VIR, which is a great uh, GT-only weekend. I tested uh, there last year. I remember. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Neat circuit, isn't it? Yes, I had a great time. Indianapolis uh, this year in the fall, and then we end up at Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta for uh, Petit Le Mans in October, which is a 10-hour race. Well, so basically there's IMSA races spread out around the whole country, Jeff, it sounds like. Right, and basically one a month Yeah, from looking mean, at the schedule. One, anyway. two, whatever it might be. Yeah. And uh, so to, to for the fan that's listening that we're trying to educate at the same time, we were talking about engineers earlier. I assume for them to find more information, just a very simple, like an IMSA.com website or something like that. Jeff, you're always yeah, big on that. John, what do you got to say about that? Yeah, IMSA.com, I-M-S-A.com is the place. It is the hub of uh, all things IMSA. It uh, shows all of our different series. There's opportunities to watch some of our uh, competition uh, live there. Uh, we're also on NBC and, and on Peacock uh, with most all of our races uh, or on USA Network. So um, it's uh, a great place to go, IMSA.com, for all the information you need. And uh, if not, um, come to a race near you. Uh, like I said, we're going to Canada outside of Toronto, Lime Rock Park, Road America, Virginia, Indianapolis, and, and uh, Road Atlanta, which is north of uh, the, the actual metropolitan Atlanta area. So um, come see us at a race. It's a very uh, good culture, family environment, a lot of campers, and uh, racing from daylight into darkness in, in several cases. IMSA.com, very informative. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. News, schedule, standings, how to watch, partners, tickets, mobile apps, IMSA gear. You could buy some swag. 
Sounds good. We're it's educating cool the, the future race fan for the IMSA series. But, John, I have to go back. Now, I'm going to go back to the start of our conversation because I was so intrigued, to be very honest with you, about the whole Garage 56 program. And we highlighted over it at the start of the show. But I, I was wondering if you could take us just for the remainder of the show, the last five, six minutes here, and talk about just going to Lamar, going the you know, kind of the, the quick nuts and bolts. I know nothing was quick, meaning the assembly of the team, the, the manufacturing of the vehicle. How, how did all that come about? I mean, just and how long a process has that been to, to develop that car, to get it to the racetrack? And then how long did you spend over in France racing that car? Yeah, so it all, as always, starts with a vision, and Jim uh, France had the vision to recreate what his father did. And uh, then when he laid it out, he wanted to do some testing, so IMSA's very own Action Express Racing, which is led by Gary Nelson, they built a mule car and went out and, and tried to prove out the concept. And uh, we used Mike Rockefeller, who's a longtime IMSA driver, multiple-time Le Mans winner, to do the uh, testing, and we proved that it certainly was possible. And then Jim thought, why not bring the winningest team in NASCAR history, which of course is Hendrick, uh, the winningest manufacturer in NASCAR history, which is Chevrolet, uh, and obviously a Camaro, and uh, NASCAR's tire partner since 1954 in Goodyear. So we brought all those, those pillar partners together. Everybody uh, did this project on top of their day job. Uh, it was um, it was very emotional, to be honest. Um, we when we went over there, um, I think the best way to describe it, Mike and Jeff, is the group of people that assembled um, went over there to represent NASCAR uh, as a whole, uh, the sport, uh, motorsports in general, and the United States. And I think each man and woman. Um, man and woman on this project took that very seriously. So if the 24 hours of Le Mans is the Olympics of motorsports, um, you know, we were, we were team NASCAR and it, it was very emotional to be part of that. Um, I think at the end of it, all of us were quite sad that it was over. Um, you never know what happens next. Uh, we're going to run the car up the hill at Goodwood Festival of Speed in England, but it was very emotional and to get to the end of the race, to see the car finish for the guys uh, to win the pit stop challenge with a traditional NASCAR stop. Uh, that was a big deal. Air. I don't mean to interrupt, but that was a really big deal. <laughs> it's a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when I seen just the pump jack come out. I went, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's the best way to describe it. If it was the Olympics of motorsports, we were team NASCAR. And I think, Every person on the project felt like they were representing all of NASCAR. And obviously IMSA, I, I had the opportunity to, to help lead the project because of our relationship with the French organizers. And, um, yeah, it, it, I'm not sure how it could have gone better. And we're really proud. Uh, we want to not rest on our laurels. We're going to keep uh, trying to tell this story far and wide. Having said all that, are you going back next year? Yeah, traditionally I go. That was my 15th Le Mans uh, because of meetings and ongoing uh, management of the sport with, with our partners at the ACO. But it's uh, maybe not in this manner because it's uh, candidly maybe once in a lifetime. So so what we're going to call the Garage 56 program probably is not going to return in 2024, the NASCAR Garage 56 program? But, yeah. Garage 56 itself, uh, each year the ACO allows a car in the race that, that isn't built to a certain set of specifications um, or, or one of the the classes that run there. So there may be another Garage 56 program. Um, the NASCAR side of the Garage 56 and what we proved, uh, you never know when you might see that next, uh, and I'll leave it at that. That's, wow, that's pretty open-ended. Yeah. <laughs> Always leave them wanting more, Mike. So, so I was I was reading a comment that it might have come from you or someone, maybe just one of this huge media train that's following uh, the Lamar program. That you went to Lamar from the NASCAR perspective to build bridges. Uh, do, do we have the foundation for some nice bridges in in the in the European world now, or did all that turn well, out as expected? Also, 
based on uh, based on the fans' uh, interest in it, I think there's a, a definitely a groundswell of excitement over that. Uh, we do have the NASCAR Euro Series already, and uh, we actually took the car to uh, Brands Hatch, England, which was the weekend after Le Mans, to put it on display and let the fans there see it. Um, and there, that NASCAR Euro Series races all over the, the European uh, continents or, or countries, rather. Uh, there's a NASCAR Mexico Series. There's a new NASCAR Brazil. There's been a NASCAR Canada. So uh, more to come, but I think NASCAR has an opportunity. And, uh, again, based on fan interest, I think they are uh, clamoring for more. Well, Jeff, it sounds like you and I might have a position as brand ambassadors around the globe. I like it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sign me up. Sign, I want to go to Brazil. Uh, we, can, we can do that. <laughs> All right. Well, John Dunan, thank you so much for taking all the time. And I know you've been extremely busy. So thanks for fitting us into your schedule. We really enjoyed the conversation. Hopefully we can uh, have you back sometime in the future and talk about different forms of uh, the IMSA series. But uh, learned a lot. Appreciate it. Congratulations, Lamar. That was uh, quite inspiring to everybody. I know, uh, especially in the Charlotte metro area, it captivated a lot of race fans' attention. They all wanted to know about it, hear about it and see it so well job well done sir thank you and uh, as you know nothing happens without an amazing team so everybody at hendrick and goodyear and, and chevrolet put in a massive effort all my teammates at nascar on the technical side and teammates here at imsa so it was a group effort but i think all for the right reasons well i think you, as they say check the box well done my man very nice <laughs> he's the Thanks president of imsa john doonan has been our guest you've been listening to fast car to nascar with mike wallace on the speed sport podcast network powered by my race pass and nascar digital media